So now we're going to have someone that's going to come up and talk to us a little bit and break it down for us. Mr. Peter Davis, Senator from the Senate of Hello everyone, good evening. I want to start with a big thank you to Councilman Orange, Councilman Mendelson, and Reverend Dr. Curry for having us here today. And I want to thank, most importantly, you for showing up. Uh, because we you are living proof of a phrase we like to say around the office, which is, politicians work for you, but only if you show up to remind them. <laughs> The living wage issue is an important one here in D.C. In fact, it's so important that Stephen Restivo, Walmart's PR guy, sent an email to reporters today about this very event. He begins the email with, quote, at tonight's labor rally. I don't know what that means, but we'll take it. That's not a pejorative to us. Quote, you'll likely hear the usual urban myths about Walmart. Again, a strange use of words from Walmart. I've heard of the phrase urban legends, alligators in the sewers, you know. But urban myths coming out of Southeast. Strange words, Steve. This is all coming from a guy who goes around giving talks to business groups about how they can replicate his success in creating spin campaigns that silence critics and morph public opinion. But I guess, according to him, corporate PR spin campaigns aren't urban myths. So in response to Stephen, I'd like to take a few minutes to not talk about myths, but rather talk about some facts. Right. You can call them urban facts, rural facts, suburban facts, whatever you want to call them. All right. The point is, they're reality, they're not rhetoric. We've been working on raising the federal minimum wage for the last year at our office in the Time for a Raise campaign to back to where it was in 1968 at its peak. And we've discovered some things along the way that apply to this fight in D.C. And I'd like to share our discoveries with you. Here's four facts. Fact number one, Walmart's top executives penny pinch on every wage but their own. Walmart CEO Mike Duke makes $11,000 an hour plus great benefits and perks. That means that during the length of this meeting, he will make more than most Walmart workers make working a full year. Walmart likes to say, save money, live better. That's their phrase. But it seems like Walmart's top brass saves money on the back of low-wage workers so that they can live better. <laughs> Given these facts, I got a question. Is it fair for Walmart to say it cannot afford to pay workers in D.C. $12.50 an hour minus benefits? No. Fact number two. Companies like Walmart are profitable while paying their workers respectable wages. Take Costco, as was mentioned. Its workers start at $11.50 an hour, plus benefits, and they're more profitable than ever. The Walmart PR rep in this audience today, likely, hiding in a corner, scratching out notes about what we're saying, taking names, <laughs> is probably writing down, oh, we got them. Costco's got a different revenue model than Walmart, because you buy in bulk and you have a $25 membership card. But wait, you know what doesn't have a different revenue structure than Walmart. Walmart Canada. 
which starts its workers at 1025 in Ontario. Oh, but they must notice it's not profitable there in Ontario, so they don't build there. But wait, Ontario has 110 stores. And they say they can't open up stores in D.C. because of a high minimum wage. But they're opening up new Stupler stores in Manitoba at 1025 and Quebec at 1015. Okay, the PR rep in the corner now is saying, wait, Canada, Canada has all these government benefits and the conversion rate isn't exactly one-to-one. -one. There you go, labor rallyer spreading your urban myths. <laughs> but wait, we have a city in America that stood up to poverty wages. Santa Fe, New Mexico, right. among others. Their minimum wage is 10.50 and it goes up every time inflation goes up. And lo and behold, at 3251 Cerritos Road in Santa Fe, there is a Walmart. But aha, says the PR rep, more urban myths. That might have been there already before they passed it. We never go there again because it's not profitable anymore. So I was worried about that, so I called up that Walmart earlier today. And this kind lady picked up with some New Mexico Santa Fe charm. And uh, she thought I was going to ask about the lawnmower or something. And I said, hey, are there any new Walmarts in Santa Fe? And she responded, oh, yeah. They just built one on Herrera Drive two years ago after the wage bill was passed. So given these facts, that Costco and Walmart Canada are profitable at higher wages, and that Walmart is so confident in its profitability at a higher minimum wage that they built one two years ago in the city with the highest minimum wage. I have a question. What is stopping Walmart from treating Walmart workers in the District of Columbia with the same level of respect? without drastic changes to the customer's experience, because to Walmart, the customer is always right. A study from UC Berkeley's Center for Labor Research and Education has shown that raising a Walmart wage floor to $12 per hour would add to every trip, if all of the costs were passed on to customers, to every trip, what do you think, $20, $40, $60, 46 cents, 46 cents. And this is the highest estimate, presuming that all the wage increases are reflected in that price, because they have a choice. They could put it to the price, or they could cut into their profits. See, Walmart tells you, well, shucks, every year, we may be a big corporation, but we have razor-thin margins every year. That's what they might say. But remind them of this. In the last five years, as the previous speaker mentioned, $51 billion in stock buybacks, and since over 50% of the company's stock is owned by the Walton family, the result of this is simply just billions of dollars transferring from the Walmart bank account to the bank account of the richest family in America. It's ridiculous. So another question, why does Walmart have $51 billion lying around to buy stock, but empty pockets when it comes to paying $12.50 an hour minus benefits to DC workers? Fact number four. Our final fact, low wages cost taxpayers in the economy. As low wage workers fall further into poverty, they become more reliant on public programs like food stamps and Medicaid and welfare to get by. 
and we're happy to provide it. But in this sense, taxpayers and small businesses foot the bill for the low wages paid by Walmart. According to a recent report, a single 300-employee Walmart superstore may cost taxpayers about a million dollars a year because of their low wages. And on the other end, higher wages serve as an economic stimulus. You've got to always end positive. If they had higher wages, it would serve as an economic stimulus. The Chicago Fed estimates that every dollar increase in the hourly pay for a minimum wage worker is $2,800 in new consumer spending from that worker's household over the year. We know it to be true. It's common sense. A dollar in the hands of a low-wage worker is better for the D.C. economy than it being another blip in a corporate bank account. So there's some facts. Now, now that I've given you these facts, the spin machine's going to come on along and mask these facts with some misinformation. They're going to say, raising the minimum wage will increase unemployment. But that doesn't hold water. This is what you tell them. Before we had good data, before the 1990s, economists thought, oh, you know, the models say that it might, a little bit of minimum wage increase might increase unemployment. But in, nine, in the 1990s, we had some states that had a higher minimum wage than others. And to an economist, they're like, oh, I'm so excited. That's a perfect experiment. Let's test the, let's test the cities across the borders. And when they finally had the good data in the 90s, there was a modest increase in the minimum wage had no effect on unemployment, and in some places, a negative effect, which means more jobs happen because of a higher minimum wage. And those studies have been reproduced for the next 20 years. They might say the minimum wage only affects teens working part-time, but most of the beneficiaries of minimum wage increases are adults, they're female, and they're members of low-income working families. Some of them mean, Walmart would never say this, but they, they said because they like to be all smiles, bouncing yellow smiley balls in their advertisements. Uh, but they said, uh, they said other people have to say the mean stuff. So they might say, well, you should be happy just having a job. Who cares if it's a good job? We've heard that. For example, Fox News host Neil Cavuto said, only in America today can our politicians bemoan a livable wage, forgetting a lot of folks would be grateful for any wage, any chance, any job, any time. When I was a teen, I got a job, and I was happy with two bucks an hour. Well, Cavuto, what he doesn't get is that when he was 16 in 1974, two bucks an hour was worth $9.47. $1.22 more than the TC minimum wage. So we'd be happy with that, we'd be a bit happy with that. And what we're asking for is only $2.64 an hour in Cavuto dollars. And even more, what he doesn't get is that being 16 and living with your parents is much different than the reality of most low-wage workers. If you work every week of the year at 8.25, all you get is $17,000 a year. That's every week of the year, that's Christmas week. And that's still below the poverty line for a family of three. And then opponents like to say it's a training job. If you want a better job, go out and find one. But the fact of the matter is the fastest growing jobs in our economy are retail, food services, and home health care. During the recession, middle wage jobs were lost and low wage jobs were gained. And if retail, food services, and home health care are where the jobs are growing, then they have to be good jobs if this economy is going to work forever. So, 
I'll end with this. Behind all this back and forth, I've been doing a lot of back and forth, behind all these numbers, these claims, is the real reason we care about good wages in D.C. We care about good wages because good wages are about respect. It's about affirming that in this city, an hour of a worker's time is worth something. Something more than the lowest number they can shake her down to. Her wage should be more than that. It should reflect our respect for her time. And this decline in wages over the past decades is disrespectful. We've been reminded about how important it is to demand respect this week by the 50th anniversary. There are those who want to make Dr. King's dream some rosy, let's all hold hands vision. But we in this room know that it was much more than that. We know that the day was called the March on Washington for jobs and freedom. We know that Dr. King said a living wage is right for all working Americans. We know that Dr. King's final campaign was the poor people's campaign. We know that inside the March's handbook that was printed and handed out to the crowd that August day 50 years ago was a list of nine goals and the eighth goal was an increase in the minimum wage to $2 an hour. What's $2 an hour in 1963 worth today? The number Martin Luther King was calling for, $15.27. If Dr. King thought $15.27 was needed for the dream, the least we can do is $12.50. Thank you very much.